Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Excited. I told Pastor Josh, man, I'm a, we were at uh, the men's meeting uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, and Pastor Josh asked everybody, you know, would you just kind of give a testimony? Tell something about what God's doing uh, in your heart. And so I just told Pastor and everybody that was there at the table, I was just like, man, we are excited to be a part of Overflow Church and what God is doing in the house. And in fact, I'm more excited to be coming here than I was when I was pastoring my own church in Colorado because God is just doing amazing things in Overflow Church. Our small group, man, God is just performing miracles uh, in our small group. And so it's just so exciting uh, to see what God is doing. And so thank you, uh, Pastor Josh and Leslie, for for letting me come and, and share my heart today. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16. And as I was praying uh, about what to share, I was just, my heart was so heavy because over the last few years, there's just been a lot of junk going on in our world. I don't know if you've noticed that, but there's just been some heavy things happening in our nation, in our world. We've had the pandemic and then right coming out of the pandemic, the stuff with Ukraine starts going on. It's like, come on, God, we, we're coming out of the, the pandemic and now we've got World War III about to start. And I can tell you last year was one of the hardest years of my life personally. And so I was just, man, my heart was heavy and I was praying, God, what do you want me to share? What's your word for today? And, and he put this on my heart uh, to share with you today. And it's the story uh, about Paul and Silas. And the title of my message today is About Midnight. Somebody say, About Midnight. I'm sure you all are familiar with that saying, nothing good happens after midnight. That's been somewhat true in my life. I've done some pretty stupid things after midnight in my own life. But I'm hoping today at the end of this message that we can see that some pretty exciting things can happen in the midnight hour. And so the question we want to answer today is how do we praise in the storm? How do we praise in the storm? And I worded that very specifically because many times we want to pray through the storm. We want to pray out of the storm, but sometimes God puts us in the storm for a reason. And so as we look at our chapters today and our verses, how do we praise in the storm? So Acts 16, verse 16, we're going to begin there. And it says, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, We met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And instantly... It left her. I love that word instantly. But the first thing I thought of was, I'm glad that people weren't following me around and recording my reactions to things that happened in my life. Because I I think my reaction would have been a little bit different. Because here we have this demon-possessed girl. Paul and Silas are just going around trying to preach the gospel, trying to do what God's called them to do. And this demon-possessed girl is just after them every day. And it seems innocent what she's saying. But as we get into scripture, we know she's trying to be a distraction. We know she's trying to take away from what the Lord is doing. And so I think 
think if that were me, after about 30 minutes, I would have just turned around and said, would you shut up? Like, would you just go somewhere else and leave us alone? But Paul had such amazing patience, and I'm so glad his reactions are recorded and not mine. But there was two things that I noticed there. Number one, when God acts, Satan reacts. When God acts, Satan reacts. And so when you are operating in what God's called you to do, when you are moving forward in the things that God has for you, the enemy is going to react to that. He's going to set snares for you. He's going to set traps for you. He's going to try to trip you up every way that he knows how. And that's why it's so important. And I encourage you every morning when you get out of bed to put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Lord, I'm putting on my helmet of salvation, my belt of truth, my shoes and my shield. And and Lord, I'm ready for the attacks of the enemy because I know that as I operate in what you're calling me to do, I know that as I move forward in what you have for me, the enemy is going to come. It's kind of like the law of motion for every action. There is an equal and opposite reaction. So as you operate and you move forward, the enemy is going to react in the opposite way. And he's going to try to trap you and snare you. So don't be surprised when the enemy comes and tries to to trip you up. But the second thing I noticed was the reaction of Paul. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it came out. I thought, man, that is the same power that we have. And how many times do we not operate in that power? The Bible says the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And as I was pondering that and thinking about that, I was like, man, God, I am tired of the watered down gospel. I am tired of pansy prayers. Lord, give us that prayer, those bold prayers to come boldly before the throne to to speak with authority. That's why I love we declare over our finances every week. God has given us the power to cast out demons, to, to speak authority over sickness. God is bigger than cancer in the name of Jesus. God is bigger than depression in the name of Jesus. And we have to begin to learn how to operate in that authority, to believe that. As Pastor uh, uh, Nathan, golly, forgive me, Nathan, I'm so sorry. As he said this morning, come expecting. Man, when you come expecting, when you come believing that God is going to do something, wait and see what God will do. So it just stirred me up. Matthew 10, 1 says, Jesus called the 12 disciples together and gave them the authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of sickness and disease. You have that power. You have that authority. Start using it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 18 her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So she grabbed Paul and Silas, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. Verse 20, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the officials, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So at first we have the demon-possessed girl, and now uh, the demon-possessed girl is, is giving up the money and fortune for these guys, and so now they're causing an uproar and a stir, and the attacks just keep on coming. And so number one in your notes today, how do we praise in the storm? Don't be surprised when the enemy attacks. Don't be surprised when the enemy attacks. Anytime there is a move of God, Satan is going to do whatever he can to kill it. 
And we've seen this all throughout church history. We've seen it in our own lives. We, saw, we see it all through the book of Acts. Anytime God begins to move, the enemy is going to come and try to kill whatever that is. The Bible said the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's all he's out to do. He is out to stop the move of God in your life, in our church, in this nation. So don't be surprised when the enemy attacks. And this was very real uh, to us, December 2020. We were campus pastors at our church in Colorado, and uh, we were having a big Christmas Eve service. Our uh, pastor at the main campus was uh, out of town, and so he said, hey, man, would you come and preach the three services that we have on Christmas Eve? It was going to be the biggest crowd that we had at the church, and man, I was excited. I was pumped. I spent all week getting ready, and so we gave the three messages. Let me tell you, giving three messages is, it seems daunting, but man, it was the most exciting thing I've ever done because I messed up all the, the first message, and then the second message, it got a little better, better and then by the third message, it was amazing. People got saved. I mean, it was awesome. And so by the end of that service, man, I was pumped. People were down at the front praying, and it was just so amazing. My kids were with us, and we were going to go back home after the service and have Christmas dinner and celebrate. And so my wife and my daughter and my daughter-in-law left in one car. Me and my son left in another. We were going to the store to get something for dinner, and then we get a phone call when we're at the grocery store and it's my wife and she's saying, listen, I've just been in a car accident. The car is totaled. You know, there's ambulances, there's fire trucks. And I, at first I thought she was just kidding. I was like, no way you are just pulling my leg. And then she just kept getting a little bit more serious and a little bit more serious. And I still thought she was joking. I don't, I was being a terrible husband in that moment. But so I gave the phone to my son and I'm like, talk to mom. But I think she's joking. Can you tell if she's being serious? And AJ talked to my wife and he's like, dad, it's serious. So we jumped in, in the car uh, and took off and I pulled up on the scene and ambulances are there, fire trucks are there. My wife and my daughter and my daughter-in-law are there on the curb. The whole front end of our car is gone. And in that moment, I got so angry because I'm like, God, I just poured out my heart. I just preached the gospel. I did what you called me to do. People got saved. And yet on my way home from church, you're going to allow my wife and my daughter and my daughter-in-law to get hurt. Our car is now totaled. And I was angry. Why? How? Why would you allow this, Lord? And it took me a few days to realize that it was just the enemy. It was the enemy trying to take me out of my joy. It was the enemy trying to draw me out of what God had called me to do. And so that's why we cannot be surprised when the enemy attacks, when we're moving forward, when we're doing the things God has called us to do. Don't be surprised. And it actually reminded me, I don't know if you guys heard about what happened at the Oscars here recently, the slap heard around the world. It reminded me of Will Smith because here's this guy on top of the world, on top of the acting game. And in a moment, he lost it. He lost everything. He walks up on stage, slaps the host, walks down. is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then later he wins for best actor. That, I was like, okay, anyway. So as he's giving his speech, you know, he's all emotional and he's saying crazy things. But in the middle of that, Denzel Washington popped up and said something and he kind of acknowledged him and you couldn't hear what he said and, and Will repeated it. And he said, Denzel told me this earlier at your highest moment, be careful because that's when the devil comes for you. 
When you're at your highest moment, be careful because that's when the devil comes for you. And I thought, wow, what a message here at the Oscars that the, the Lord has a stage to be able to, to, to give a great word. Because when you're at your highest moment, that's when the enemy comes for you and he comes for me. But I love this verse in John 16, It says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. It should be no surprise to us that trials and sorrows are going to come. If we are serving the Lord, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if it happened to him, why should we be surprised that it's not going to happen to us? But take heed because he has overcome the world. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. Come on, that's some good news in the house this morning. Verse 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they did not escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into stocks. And as I read that, I thought, wow, what a, what a change in circumstance. One minute they're out preaching the gospel. One minute they're out casting out demons and healing the sick. And the next they're in the inner dungeon, in the inner prison. How many times does that happen to you in your life when one minute you're on top of the world, you're on the mountaintop, everything is going great, and then the next minute you're in the valley, and you're just wondering what in the world just happened? And I just want to encourage you this morning that when you begin to operate in your callings and in your giftings, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Be ready. Be ready that the enemy is coming for you. Be ready to respond to that. And I just want you to... So the jail in in Roman times, there was two different types of, of prisons. There was the outer prison and then there was the inner prison. And so that's where Paul and Silas were put. They were put in the inner prison. And I looked uh, up some research and read some, some commentaries. Uh, and that place of, of the inner prison was, was someplace you would never want to be. Uh, there was hardly any light. There's no ventilation. There's no sanitation. And you're just sitting in a pit of filthiness. So I can imagine it would just be stinking there's no light coming in. You're depressed because you're thinking, man, I was just on top of the world. I was just preaching the gospel. And now here I am in this inner dungeon with nowhere to go. It stinks. I'm probably using the bathroom in my pants. And it's just, it's the worst place that you can imagine being. And then on top of that, it says, not only did they put them in the inner prison, but they put their feet in stocks. And so if, if you know anything about that, that was one of the most painful things that they could do to you in prison because they separate your legs, they lock them down, and immediately it's just constant pain. So they're, they're in the inner dungeon, they're somewhere they don't want to be, and now they're in some of the greatest pain of their lives because they've just been beaten, uh, beaten with rods, and now their feet are in stocks. And so I can just imagine those guys thinking, what is going on? Just like I was after I preached those messages and my wife is getting in a car accident. Lord, what are you doing? I don't understand it. Why is this happening to me? 
And there may be some of you here today that you're thinking the exact same thing. Lord, why am I in the trial that I am? Why am I walking in the valley that I'm in? Lord, I didn't do anything wrong, seemingly. Life was going well. I was doing what you've called me to do, and now I can't pay my bills. Now my marriage is in trouble. Now I've got cancer. All the things that the enemy tries to beat you down with, you're walking in the middle of. And I was in that place just last year. October 20th, I got a text. It was a Wednesday morning from my father. And he said, listen, they've just put me in the ambulance and they're taking me to the hospital. On Monday, he had been diagnosed with COVID and over the next couple of days, he just got worse and worse. And it was shocking to me because my dad was in credible health. He had no issues. Uh, and out of the blue, I get the text. And so I begin to respond to him. I'm trying to text him. It's hard because he's in the hospital. Uh, and it began a journey that I've never been on in my life. And so that first week, he's there in the hospital. They won't let you in because he's got COVID. They have him on the CPAP mask, and we're thinking he's going to be okay. But at the end of that week, they come to us and they say, listen, we need to put him on the ventilator. And how many know when you hear that word ventilator, that's scary stuff. And so we were praying about it. And my dad at first said, no, I am not going on the ventilator. The Lord can take me, but they are not going to put me on that thing. And so we just began to pray and talk about it. And after a, about a day and a half, he decided, okay, let's go ahead and see what God can do. I believe that he can heal me. So let's go ahead and put, a, put it on the ventilator and see what happens. And so over the next five weeks, man, it was an emotional roller coaster. I would get a call in the night. Hey, man, your dad's going great. We're going to lower his oxygen first thing in the morning. And in the morning, I would get a call. Man, your dad tanked at night. We don't know if he's going to make it through the night. And it was just a constant battle, a constant battle. He's in a coma. They finally let us come in, but we can't, you know, he can't communicate. He's out. It's just, it was one of the hardest things that I've ever been through in my life. And then we get a call about five weeks into it. Hey, your, your dad's waking up. They had taken the, the medicine off. We want to see how his lungs respond. And so he's, he's beginning to wake up. He's beginning to open his eyes, come to the hospital. And man, we were so excited. Man, dad's coming through. God is healing me. He's going to come out of this thing. And so we go and he's able to open his eyes, but he's never able to communicate. He's never able to talk. And so he's in the hospital for three or four days and we're just praying and believing that God is going to do a miracle, but he can't, he can't talk. He can't communicate. He's not getting any better. And so then they move him to another facility. And I haven't had one of the hardest conversations I've ever had in my life because here my dad is. He's not getting better. He can't communicate. He's got the thing in his throat and it's just, it's miserable. And so I was there with my brother and my sister and I, I Vanjie might've even been there, but I went in the room and it was just me and my dad. And I had to look my dad in the eye and I had to say, dad, do you want to keep fighting? Do you even want to live? Because I knew he was miserable. I knew that he couldn't communicate. He couldn't talk. And who wants to live a life like that, laying in a bed, not being able to communicate? And, and so I, it was just, it was the hardest thing that I literally, I think I've ever done in my life. And a few days later, he passed. And man, I got angry. 
I was angry with, it was the angriest at God that I have ever been in my entire life. I was like, God, why? Why would you allow this? My, my dad was serving you just a few weeks before he was in the pulpit preaching. God, why would you take him? And I was angry and I was mad and I was upset. And for weeks I was angry at God. I think I even shared it with Pastor Josh and Leslie when we went and had dinner with him. I was like, man, I'm struggling and I don't know how to get out of it. I've never been in this place before. I've never been this angry at God and I don't know what to do. And so we had the funeral and I asked Pastor Leslie to come and I said, I asked her to lead a song that I loved and I asked her, would you, would you lead that song worthy of it all? And so even at the funeral, I was mad. I was still angry at God. I hadn't processed, but as we began to sing that song, God, you were worthy of it all. The anger just began to dissipate. Everything that the enemy had pent up inside me, all the frustration, all the fear, all the anger just began to melt away as I just began to sing, Jesus, you were worthy of it all. Because that's the reality of it. We can't base our joy on the circumstance that we're in. We cannot base our joy on the circumstance we're in. Whatever is going on around us, the the Bible tells us that he is our joy in spite of our circumstance, in spite of what we're going through. God is our joy. And in that moment, I just begin to get that revelation. And so what do we see Paul and Silas do here in verse 25? And this was the title of my message about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Here they are in some of the greatest pain of their life in a situation they never thought they would be in, in a place they never wanted to be. And yet what was their reaction? They began singing hymns and praises to God. And my prayer for you and me is that we would have that same reaction when it seems like everything around us is falling apart, when it seems like nothing is going our way, when it seems like it's the worst of the worst, God, I will praise you anyway. I'm going to sing hymns and praises because Lord Jesus, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. I wanted to sing a song, but I think I'm going to pass that because I don't, I don't want you guys to hear how terrible of a singer I am. But as I was thinking about that, the, I was like, the Bible doesn't say what hymn, you know, they begin to sing. But as I was thinking about it, the Lord just brought one of my favorite hymns and it was just, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. To worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you In your ear, 
I can just imagine them beginning to sing and all the prisoners and all the weight of everything that they are sitting in and the filth and the mess just begin to dissipate. You see, when you're in the midnight hour, it's not always the easiest time to praise and to worship. So number two, how do we praise in the storm? You keep your eyes on Jesus. How do we praise in the storm? You keep your eyes on Jesus. And it reminded me of Peter in the boat when the storms were raging. The waves were crashing in. And then here they see Jesus coming, walking on the water. And Peter wants to walk on the water. And he says, Lord, can I come? And the Lord says, yes, come out to me. And Peter steps out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. And this is just an amazing miracle that's going on. But as soon as Peter takes his eyes off God, he begins to sink. And so I encourage you today in the middle of your storm. When the storms are raging, when the waves are crashing, keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll be able to stay above water. Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. It doesn't say rejoice in the Lord sometimes. It doesn't say maybe rejoice. It doesn't say rejoice every now and then. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And then what again? I say rejoice. No matter what situation you find yourself in, get them hands in the air and rejoice in the Lord. He'll bring you through it. He will bring you through it. And I thought Job was a perfect example of this because, you know, you, we, I mean, we all know the story of Job. We know that Job was a blameless man, that even the Lord offered him as the, Satan came to the Lord and said, can I do all these things to Job? It's crazy that the Lord allowed all these things to happen. But here's Job, a man of righteousness who really hasn't done anything wrong. And then everything was taken away from him. His riches, his family, his home, his livestock, his way to make a living, everything was gone. He's in boils, he's covered in pain, and here, listen to Job 120. This was Job's response. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That was not my response. I was charging God like crazy. I was blaming him for everything. But I pray that we can have a Job-type response when the things aren't going the way we want them to go in our lives. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Sometimes we have to offer a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes when it's hard, sometimes when the battle rages, sometimes when we're struggling in relationships and we can't pay our bills and everything seems to be falling apart, that's when we have to give the sacrifice of praise and say, God, I'm going to praise you anyway. If you're taking notes, I don't know if this is in your notes, but I want you to write this down. God's objective for your life is not to make you happy. That's the truth. God's objective for your life is to not make you happy. It's to make you holy. Whew. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard to understand. God's objective, though, is to not make you happy, healthy, comfy, cozy. It's to make you holy. You were put on this earth to glorify God. Come on, as believers, you don't have to ever wonder what your purpose is. 
Your purpose is you were put on this earth to glorify God. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, your purpose on this earth is to glorify Jesus. It's not to be happy. It's not to have money in the bank. It's not to have great things. Your purpose on this earth is to glorify King Jesus in every situation. In all you do, bring glory to the name of Jesus. And now is when the story starts to get exciting. Verse 26, suddenly, love that word, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Come on, that's a supernatural experience right there. You know, it's, most of the time when earthquakes happen, things fall down, things break apart. But in this instance, the doors were open and the chains fell off. And so we know that this is a supernatural encounter with God. And as I read that, God just said, listen, man, I'm a chain breaker. Aren't you glad that you serve a God who is a chain breaker? I don't know what you came in with this morning. I don't know if you came in with addiction. I don't know if you came in with depression, with sickness, but whatever it is, we serve a God this morning who is a chain breaker, a miracle worker, a way maker. I love reading that. The chains broke. And I just thought about, man, in a moment, God can flip things upside down. In the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you can go from the worst place you've ever been in your life to the chains coming off and miracles taking place. I'll say this. When God's people pray and worship together, miracles happen. When God's people pray and worship, miracles happen. You know, I, I love the people that watch by live stream. I love people that that love to worship on their own, but man, there is something that happens when we come together in corporate worship. Chains break, miracles happen. That's why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of the saints. Something beautiful happens when the church comes together in one accord, uh, standing and agreeing together. And I believe that's what happened. These guys started singing and worshiping together in the midst of the storm. They started praising and worshiping the Lord and miracle happened. The chains were broken and the doors flew open. As we see here in verse 27, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, do not kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran into the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. What a change of events there. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want you to circle that in your Bible. What must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with your entire household. Come on, I love putting myself in these situations because I think if the chains would have fell off and the doors would have flew open, I'm out. I'm gone. I'm not waiting around to see what happens. I mean, I'm, you know, Usain Bolt running outside the prison gates. But can I tell you too many times when we find ourselves in the trial and the storm, we see the first door open and we try to go through it. Whew. We try to go through the first door that it's open, and many times God wants us to sit in that because there's a plan and a purpose for what he's taken us through. Paul and Silas knew there was a purpose 
for the pain. Paul and Silas knew there was a purpose while they were in the pain of their lives, and it was for that jailer and his entire household. So I just want to encourage you this morning, when you're in the midst of it, when you're in the pain, when God has taken you through a trial, don't run through the first door that opens. Pray and ask God, Lord, why? Why do you have me in this? What are you trying to teach me in this? And if he says go, go. But if he says, I'm trying to teach you something, sit in it, wait, learn. Don't just run away. Don't cut and run the first time trouble happens. The Lord wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use the pain of our lives. So number three, how do we praise in the storm? Your purpose is greater than your problem. Your purpose is greater than your problem. Commentator Bob Utley said this. This was a natural event with a supernatural purpose, timing, and effect. A supernatural event because there was a purpose for them being there in the situation that they were in. And it was all about what I told you to circle earlier. What must I do to be saved? That's what it's all about. That's why we were put on this earth to lead others to Jesus Christ. To show them what it's like to live a righteous and holy life in the middle of of the storm. What must I do to be saved? It's the simplicity of the gospel. And I just encourage you, don't be afraid to share your testimony. Don't be afraid to share the gospel. So many times we work ourselves up so bad that, man, I'm not going to be able to answer the questions they're going to ask. I'm not going to be able to say the right thing. And can I tell you, it's as simple. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love it. The simplicity of the gospel. Verse 32, and we're closing. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, jailer, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he as an entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. You see, Paul and Silas introduced the jailer and his family to the one who washed and cleansed their spiritual wounds. And now he was washing and cleansing their physical wounds. I thought, man, isn't that the perfect story of true conversion? God comes and cleanses us and washes all our sins away. And then we turn and we help others do the same. We turn and we show people Jesus so he can come and wash and cleanse all their sin away. So this morning as we close, I I just want to ask you, what are your actions telling others? When you're in the middle of the storm, when things aren't going the way you want them to, when things are, are just crap all around you. When you're in the inner inner dungeon, what is your reaction? What are you showing others? How are you going to respond? 